Welcome back, folks. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day, lead writer for BlessYouBoys.com. And uh, we've kind of reached uh, that point in the uh, in the year that reminds me of, of Christmas a little bit. And uh, my sister was always the one who demanded the presents early. I was the one who was like very patient until the last day or two. And then finally, it would just all hit and I'd get super excited. And that's about where I'm at today. Um, so <laughs> I'm excited to have uh, our guest on. We've got Keenan Lamb from Baseball Prospectus, and um, we're going to talk to him about the draft and about the Tigers a little bit. Keenan, how's it going tonight? I'm doing great, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And I just want to say I was more your type as well. Like, I was just constantly building up that slow pressure, and all of a sudden it's like Christmas Eve, and you just, you can't wait. You see the presents at the bottom of the tree. Let's just go for it. Yeah, it's like you're, you're driving me nuts here. I can't, I can't yeah. hold off like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I, what I like to do when I have somebody on I haven't talked talked to before, who's especially a national writer, is just kind of um, kind of set the stage, just asking you a little bit about you know your impressions of the Tigers' um, rebuilding effort, such as it is. Um, you know, we're we're pretty critical um, over here generally with the way things have gone, but there has been progress. Um, they've done well, you know, for the most part with their first round picks and. Um, you know, landed Tarek Skubal, um through uh, surreptitious. Eh, sir- <laughs> Here, I'll just use a smaller word. Uh, they were lucky to get Tarek Skubal. Thanks, Scott Morris. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the Tigers in general, you know, what, what you want to do during any sort of, I hesitate to use the re- word rebuild because it's just such a negative connoting sort of word, but I, I understand where the Tigers are in their process. Uh, but what you want to do when you're, you're trying to go through this this long schedule is hit on the guys at the top of the draft that you have to hit on. And so when you look at just the, the top three prospects in the organization with Casey Mize, Matt Manning, and Riley Green, and you can throw Tarek Skubal somewhere in there, I'm sure, depending on your preference, you know, th- those are some foundational players that you're at least so far you're, you have to be excited about. Uh, I, I was able to see Casey Mize on a Friday night start with Al Avila in the stands against the University of Florida his draft year, and it was pretty apparent that we were looking at the number one overall pick that, <laughs> that summer. And then uh, I haven't got a chance to see Matt Manning myself, but I did see a lot of Riley Green last year. He's a Central Florida kid, and I myself live in Jacksonville, Florida, so I saw him uh, several times and also saw him at the National High School Invitational. I was a big fan of Riley Green last year. I think he's got a chance to be a, a very good hitter. Uh, once he reaches the the big leagues someday, so uh, what you've got already this foundation of you know great prospects at the top. You want to develop some more depth in the system, which is what they're trying to do when with acquisitions like Joey Wentz, who I saw a fair amount of in the Southern League. Um, you know, won't see him for a while, unfortunately, thanks to that Tommy John surgery. But there's still some pieces to 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 hope on and. You know, what you have to do here with this pick, obviously, uh, in these multiple picks, all five of them, on uh, all five rounds of them, I should say, come Wednesday and Thursday, you just got to go for it. Make sure you got your scouting down and, and you got to hit on those. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, I mean, organizationally, do you, do you have any thoughts just about some of the, the changes the Tigers have made? Obviously, they haven't, you know, done a whole lot of improving hitters, um, but they have done pretty well, I think, um, as far as on the pitching front, like... 
you know, I really am a big fan of the way they brought Matt Manning along. Um, you know, I don't really think people were quite aware, you know, like just how raw he was and how, how much revamping of his mechanics went on that first year. Um, and he's really come on strong. And then you've got someone like, you know, Alex Faito, who, you know, in my view is probably going to end up, you know, more of a reliever type who can just lean on the slider. Um, but, you know, they changed his delivery. They've done some good things there. And then they bring in Kenny Graham from the Brewers to take over as director of player development. They got Dan Hubs now um, kind of doing pitch design and, and kind of coordinating um, in the minor leagues. They've got a sports science department started under Dr. George Giblin. Like, you know, they're, they're making some strides in, in that regard. Um, do, do you have some confidence that they're they're on the right track in all that regard as well? Uh, very much so. Um, I actually know Kenny Graham pretty well. I actually worked with the, uh, him and the Toronto Blue Jays a few years back, and he's a fantastic guy, a great mind for the game of baseball, a young, up-and-coming, uh, very new-age, technologically savvy uh, hitting instructor. I have a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to resonate with some of these young players in the system. He can really speak their language, really get on their level. I think he he's a very good addition for the Tigers, and I think that's what they want. They want to beef up their video analytics. Um, I'm familiar with uh, very familiar with their their video coordinator on the amateur side. Um, I, I, there's a lot to like where they're headed. You just want to start seeing results as soon as you can. I, I understand as a Tigers fan, you just want to see something. <laughs> Give us something to. It's not, not like seeing the presence at the bottom of a tree. You know, you see them there. It's like, when do we get to unwrap these things? It's the same thing for these minor league players. Yeah. 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 I've been pretty happy over the last, you know, year that things have, have kind of taken a better turn. I think it was those first couple of years of the Avila regime where there was, you know, there was a lot of, um, kind of stagnation while they were still not sure what, what direction they were going in. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And obviously some of the trades, um, that they made in 2017 haven't, haven't really worked out well at all. And obviously like JD Martinez, I didn't think that one was going to work out in the first place. So yeah, some of that, some of that capital of, uh, of, you know, talent, they didn't really seem to have turned into much, although, you know, you never know. Franklin Perez is just such a, such a lottery ticket right now. You know, he, he could come out, you know, whenever baseball starts again and possibly be major league ready if he's healthy. I mean, he's looked that good every time I see him, every time they, they bring him out of mothballs, it's like, wow, he hasn't really lost anything. <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just never know. Um, all right. So we're, I mean, we can start with Spencer Torkelson, but I kind of feel like this is such a lock that I don't, I don't usually want to take too much time on it, but are you, are you pretty confident that, like everyone else, the Tigers are taking Torkelson? I mean, it's a, it's a tough spot to be one, one, in a year where there is no definitive one, one player, you know, there isn't an Adley Rutschman or, you know, go farther down to a Steven, Steven Strasburg or anybody like that. It's, it's kind of fun in one way because you get to nitpick and go in depth <laughs> and really pick the guy that you think is going to fit best for you instead of just, you know, this dominating player, you know, at the collegiate level or something like that. So you have to think that just Torkelson is going to be the guy at this point. Um, I think it's, a safe assumption. I don't think by any means it's a 100% lock. I just think it's safe. Um, he's just a guy with a, a fairly low floor, you have to think, and a ceiling that is pretty high as well. Uh, he's a guy who's probably going to hit, you know, average to maybe slightly above average. Uh, he's going to have well above average power. You wonder where the def- defense is going to be. I think they're probably going to start him in the outfield to try and, and make him as valuable as possible since he did spend a fair amount of time um, in the corner outfield spots for Arizona State. 
and uh, try and keep him there as long as you can. And if someday he has to slide on down to first base, well, that's just what you got to do to get the bat in the lineup. So I think it's a pretty safe bet at this point, though. Yeah, yeah. I, kind of the consistent refrain I hear from people is, um, "Don't worry so much about where he's going to play. Just worry about the fact that you're going to drop him in the third, you know, the three hole in the lineup, and just and call it good." So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I mean, obviously this draft is bizarre. Um, we've got five rounds. We've got deferred money. Um, there's a lot of you know a lot of speculation about um, the prep players in particular and which ones are going to be willing to sign. I mean, have you have you kind of you know, for yourself, at least felt like you've gotten more of a bead on, on how this is all going to play out as things have gone along? Or is it still, you know, this still feels like to a lot of people, like one of the most potentially chaotic drafts we've, we've ever seen. Um, I think it's probably, probably likely if that makes, you know, any sort of justification to the, the awkwardness and weirdness we're going to see. It's, it's, we're trying to predict randomness in a draft. That's kind of what we're going to see. I feel like, there's just so many unknowns and making things even more difficult than just the climate of, you know, a post pandemic world and not being able to scout the players that you wanted to and having such uh, uh, limitations to the signing bonuses and everything like that. Uh, you're also just looking at the fact that this is a very, very deep class. Mm-hmm. So while you have the top, you probably say top five, six or seven players in this draft to have really set themselves apart as kind of that top tier, which is about the same size you saw in last year's draft. But that second level of players really from pick seven to all the way to 50 are all fairly interchangeable depending on how each team's individual draft boards line up. So if you're a guy, you know, who maybe thought you were going to go 20th overall and you're you know, a high school pitcher and all of a sudden, you know, you start to slide a little bit because teams are going to be erring on the safe aside as far as uh, you know going with maybe proven track records on a college pitcher you know you're going to be ending up in the third or the you know the 30s or the second round and all of a sudden your idea of a two million dollar or three million dollar signing bonus regardless of its deferments that's now you're looking at a two million dollar or one million dollar signing bonus it's a large chunk of change for anybody so you have to start wondering what's going to end up happening to a lot of those high school players and I don't know what's going to end up happening to some of these guys because you're already starting to hear whispers of maybe maybe some signability concerns. Yeah, I don't I don't think the deferments are necessarily going to be that big of a deal just because everyone's dealing with it. But when you're looking at the total signing bonus, you're not going to find a whole lot of people wanting to do underslot deals on a year they're only going to be getting a hundred thousand dollars to begin with. They don't want to give up that sort of capital even if it is you know two three years away. So yeah, I. I yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, too, and I mean, there's obviously a danger in, in getting too cute because we're all thinking like, OK, the Tigers and the Orioles, like maybe, you know, maybe with that 38 pick, they can find someone they take under slot and then try to hunt one of those, you know, one of those prep pitchers in the count B round, something like that. But you can also trip and fall on your face that way. way. Um, mm-hmm. The Tigers got real cute in 2017 and it, it went horribly awry. <laughs> so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard to say. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like, you know, you add in like a couple guys like, um, you know, Dax Fulton and JT Ginn, you know, who, you know, are both, you know, re- recovering from Tommy John surgery as well and, and are in there. And it's just another kind of weird kind of, um, kind of shot in the mix there too. You don't know mm-hmm. how much of a shot people want to give those guys or if they're, you know, going to end up waiting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, it feels pretty, uh, pretty chaotic to me as well. Well, if you look at what the Orioles did last year, for instance, granted, they didn't have much of a, a decision to make at the first overall pick. 
But when they went into their later picks and both competitive balance and second round, they took really talented young players that, you know, there was some question about their sign abilities and they were able to get them signed. I think the Tigers probably need to take a pretty similar approach. Granted, they just have the, the number 38 overall pick. You're, you're dealing with uh, just a little under $2 million for the slot signing bonus for that pick. You really just need to take best player available, and it might end up being one of these really talented high school players that you would have assumed would have gone you know, 10 or 15 or 20 picks earlier. And you call their bluff and say, all right, look, we want, it, we want you to be part of the Detroit Tigers for the long term. Come sign with us. And that, that could probably be the, the, the direction they're going to want to go. Yeah, and then you just figure like, okay, fifth round, we take a college senior, or or, or we just take whoever we want, and if we can't sign him for what we need, so it goes, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So about that thirty-eight pick. I mean, is there anybody that you yourself particularly are targeting for the Tigers? There, you really think that they're they're going to be in on? I mean, I know it's really hard, and you know, people are going to drop, and people aren't going to drop, all that sort of thing. But I think it's completely contingent upon just how wacky we actually end up seeing the back half of the first round. Um, I think there's going to be a, a lot of players that we presume to have been in that second round range that the Tigers were going to be looking at. All of a sudden they're getting pops, you know, in the twenties. So then it's what players kind of flip flopped around and, and how in on were those, some of those players prior to the big uh, pandemic shutdown. You know, I know for a fact that there's a lot of data and a lot of video, you know, in the Tigers front office and, they're going to be well-researched, and they've got their draft board all set up. But trying to predict what they could be doing at that pick, I think they maybe have some guys that they would love to have fall their way. But it's it's throwing darts at a dartboard, you know, just some 48 hours, 24, 48 hours outside of the draft. Yeah, and, you know, I think of guys like, you know, Jared Schuster or, um, or even like Anthony Servideo, who's a guy I like a little bit later on. You know, who who kind of popped, but there was so little time, you know, to see how it how it took and how and how it stuck that, um, yeah, you really wonder like who's who's you know grading them where at this point, right? And in that specific round, the depth of this class, like I mentioned, that second tier player, which is between like seventy and fifty, or it could even be deeper, seventy and sixty, you're going to get a ton of college pitching in that group of players, and really the the college pitching class is one of the best probably seen in the last 10 to 20 years as far as just the overall depth and quality of arms so even if you know they decide there's a high schooler that drops to them at 38 and they think they can sign them they can still make a, a play later on you know in, in that number 62 pick for one of those college pitchers that's still going to be a good player like a, a jeff Criswell from michigan um maybe a christian roa texas a&m i don't think chris mcmahon would slide that far but uh, he's a very good pitcher at the university of miami there's just talent up and down you're going to see them a talented college pitcher go in the third round and it's not unusual to see them probably cracking the top 10 of some of these organizational charts and i wouldn't be surprised if three or four of the picks chosen this week by the Tigers end up in a prospect list of the top 10 for the Tigers later this fall. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely seems possible. I mean, I think of a guy like, um, you know, and I guess this is the thing with the Tigers having kind of remade, you know, some of their development system and and not knowing how much impact those guys will have on, on the draft and on the, you know, the scouting director. But, you know, you look at guys who classically would have been like perfect Tigers picks, like a Cole Henry, you know, like SEC, you know, big right-hander, upright, 
you know, hard thrower with a good breaking ball, like someone like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't expect him to get to 62, but if he did, you know, I would assume the Tigers would be thrilled. Um, but you just, yeah, you just don't really know. There's so many mm-hmm. guys like Van Eck and what is it? Mladinsky. There's, there's quite a few guys that seem I'm seeing, you know, anywhere from 30 to, to 60, as you say. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's even players that, hard even being talked about in the in the top 50 players that I think are going to be excellent picks potentially down the road in the third and fourth round like Sam Weatherly out of Clemson outdueled Carmen Mashevsky who Mashevsky's in a lot of people's mock drafts and a lot of people's prospect boards is a top 30 or 35 player yet Sam Weatherly for Clemson completely outdueled him one one on one South Carolina versus Clemson earlier this year I think he struck out 11 batters. He had a fastball in the mid to upper 90s, a really good hard-biting slider, a really tough arm angle to pick up as a lefty, a tall lefty. I mean, he's a guy who people aren't even talking about and yet is going to be a pretty solid player by my estimation, and he's not even going to be talked about until the third round. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, there's like, you know, you've got a couple change-up specialists like Kevin Abel and uh, Ben Hernandez. <laughs> you know, some of those guys might be there a little bit later on. Do you, do you think that teams have gotten, I guess this this goes to more of a process question and kind of gets into the technology and stuff a little bit more, but um, do you think teams are getting a better read on who they can, who they can help with, you know, with like putting them through pitch design sessions and, and, and that kind of thing? Or, and, and are they getting better at knowing sort of which colleges have already, you know, sort of dialed these guys stuff in about as good as you're going to do and, and being able to factor that stuff into how you project, you know, a college pitcher in particular? Right. Well, what you're starting to see here on the amateur scouting side is not only do you have these scouts who are very into taking their own video, but the Tigers employ their own video staff of dragging around Rapsodo cameras, these super high speed cameras to set up right behind home plate to see what kind of a release point and consistency these pitchers are having even in high school. So the data coming in is not only say, not, not, not only, you know, quantitative it's qualitative they want to know you know the biometrics going into some of these deliveries and tigers are on the forefront of that you i've seen them all over florida you know the last couple years so when you're talking about a college player and some of the pitch design that's being talked about with uh, you know other companies like driveline and 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 the likes you know there's still a lot that can be done once you become a pro player once you sign your name on the dotted line and you're all of a sudden professional athlete your job is to come to work and get better and what the the coaching at the professional level is going to allow you to do is take what you've already learned and developed you know whether it be high school or college and repeat it it's just to get those repetitions in to be as consistent as possible to where it becomes second nature where it's not you thinking about oh where is my arm in relation to my plant foot at Mm -hmm. you know the top of my pitching circle it's not it's taking the thinking out of it because you're just being drilled every single day about these little tiny mechanical fluctuations. And really when you get to those consistency issues later on, it then just becomes second nature. So that's really the next step for these players once they become professionals. Yeah. I mean, you can get that instant. I mean, it's not exactly biofeedback, but basically, you know, that that's what it is. You can see immediately what you did, what, you know, what the tilt was, all that, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's got to help you. You know, to, to kind of um, that's always the problem with training in any sport is, you know, matching the feeling of what happens to what actually happens. And, and yeah, all that stuff has got to got to be making a huge impact in that on that front, obviously. Yeah, I mean, let's see. I don't really want to just like throw too many players at you, but I did kind of have a couple guys like, do you think there's any chance Nick Lofton drops to the Tigers at this point? 
in the second round. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he's a name that he's gone from, uh, you know, relatively that top 40 range to, to maybe sneaking into the first round. Um, I, I think I had him at number 27 in my pre-draft rankings to he was getting some heat earlier this week, potentially going as high as the Rangers, who I believe are pick number 14. Just because they're uh, ready to just take more of a stable pick as, as opposed to trying to shoot for the moon and, and go for a high upside, but maybe riskier pick. So the variance as to where he could go between 14 and as low as 38 to the Tigers, I mean, that's a pretty wide disparity <laughs> and, proof, and proof of my entire theory that this is just such a deep class. Could he be there? Sure. I don't know if he will be. Yeah, sure. uh, I think he's. I think he's more likely to probably stay in just that that uh, very tail end of the first round. That'd be my guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Even you know, even someone like that, you know, with with a college track record and a pretty consistent performer who showed a little more power this spring, it's still just like, yeah, I, I, it's just really hard to get a bead. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it kind of always is. I mean, I don't know. You're much more experienced in this than I than I am. Have there been drafts where you really felt like you know we've just got this all dialed? <laughs> uh, well, I think the, the main thing missing from this draft, other than the obvious, you know, we didn't get to see, you know, several weeks and months more of these players to get more of a a full picture as to what they're capable of. More so, like, and why I didn't do a mock draft this year is basically I was told it'd be just a fruitless endeavor. Like, you're just going to make yourself look bad because it's going to be really <laughs> hard to predict. And what usually makes a mock draft a little easier to do most springs is you just go to some of these games in the last, I would say, month of a season, and if you start noticing some big cross-checkers or scouting directors, or in my case, when I saw Casey Mize pitch uh, against the University of Florida, the GMs there, you know that tells you something that they're taking a hard look at someone, and they're wanting their, their top eyes, their top dogs you know, on the scene. So that kind of helps give you an idea of who they're looking at. And you didn't have that this spring, obviously, yeah. just because there were no games to go to. So trying to predict, you know, what teams have their eyes on particular players, that's a big piece of the puzzle that's missing this year. Yeah, it's also going to be a little, I mean, I assume teams are all prepared for this and it won't, maybe it won't be an issue as I think it might be, but I'm sure it has been in terms of preparation. But just the fact that they're not all going to be in the same room, you know, there isn't going to be a draft room. It's going to be virtual. Um, and I'm wondering if that might make teams more apt to stick to their board rather than trying to conference call between, you know, five to ten different different people. Um, and I know, you know, and obviously some teams have already kind of turned around and fired some cross-checkers and, and scouts who um, who they kind of got what they needed out of, it seems like, and, and they're already out of the picture. Yeah, the, I don't know how that's going to work this year at all. <laughs> like, I, I kind of understood the NFL draft and what they were trying to do. Um, as far as having their non-draft rooms and then being able to communicate with the league office like during the actual draft, but with baseball, which is a lot more different, and it's this like added you know three-dimensional chess piece, is that you're constantly on the phone on the the few picks leading up to your selection with these players' advisors. I'm gonna use air quote advisors. Um, trying to see what their dollar amount is, what they, what they're looking for. You know if if you know, the Tigers sitting at 38 call up a player that they really like, a high school player, and he says, oh, well, I want $3 million or I'm not going to sign. Well, the Tigers are going to just strike his name off the board because they don't think they're going to have another, you know, million dollars just laying around to be able to sign him. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that 
machinations all going to work within the dynamic of the the scouting department for the Tigers. But I'm sure they they've run some kind of dry test runs and yeah. have have a good idea of maybe some of the guys that they hope to be there, and they're just going to be running through those scenarios, uh, you know, all the way up Monday, uh, Wednesday when things you know start going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I you know, and I, I've I've kind of felt like just the fact that you know you've got. Torkelson as a as a Boris client that the Tigers probably aren't going to be able to get get much of a break there so it's probably it's probably going to be more straight straight up as they go I would assume but you never know I guess one more thing before you know the thing I want to talk to you too about is like the recruiting these guys who are going to be undrafted but before we get there is there anybody that you you could kind of like just take a swing at for the Tigers like late in this thing like in the fifth round is there anybody that you even have a beat on that that seems like someone they'd be interested in there I think they're going to be good players available in the fifth round. Um, as I, I'm getting redundant here, I, it just seems that there's just that much level of depth where I feel like this point last year, if we're just going to compare year to year, the amount of depth we're seeing in the fifth round was kind of petering out at the end of the third round, kind of turn of the fourth round last year. So we're looking at an extra you know, 20, 30, 40 players of better depth just in this year. But the big problem you're going to run into in the fifth round, and maybe you don't see with the Tigers at the top of the round, is the difference between being picked in the fifth round, and we'll just say you're being picked 160 by the Astros, the last pick in the draft, that's $324,000 as their slotted signing bonus. If you were the, you know, the, the pick 161, we'll call it, and you don't actually get selected, the highest you can make is a twenty thousand dollars signing bonus. Yeah, that's a difference of three hundred and twenty. Or yeah, three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> that's a big, big deal. And so, what you might end up seeing with a lot of these teams, especially as you get towards the end of the round, is calling up these players and saying, "Hey, look, we're gonna give you two hundred thousand dollars, or we're gonna give you. I think forty percent is what the max, the max minimum amount they're allowed to give. So we're gonna give you two hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand dollars, take it or leave it, and that's how they're gonna save some cash. And if the players don't take that, they risk of the possibility of not being selected at all, and then they're only gonna get twenty thousand dollars. Then they have to figure out if they're gonna go back to school or not, and, and all the problems that come with you know bottlenecking the draft next year with all the players returning. And the potential of a bigger draft and maybe no deferments next year. Who knows what ends up happening? So the fifth round is if we talked about how kooky the first and second round is going to be with the amount of depth there is. The fifth round is going to be the wild, wild west. I have no idea what could end up (laughs) happening there. Yeah, I mean, we tend to think of these things from the team perspective, but yeah, you could do a whole podcast on strategy from, you know, like a late round draft pick perspective. You know, it's uh, yeah, the, Mm -hmm. the machinations between player parent and an agent are probably going to be pretty wild to hear i would imagine right and not only that too that just the players that are going to end up being signed a lot of people have said that the the undrafted free agent class is going to be super crazy with just the amount of players and good players that could be signed by teams i think if i'm playing a little bit of game theory in my head i don't think there's going to be that many players that end up signing or not nearly as many players as people presume to sign after the draft because they would much rather take a you know the risk to go back to school and still make much more money coming out of the draft next year as a seventh round pick than they would as a twenty thousand dollar you know minor or 
uh, undrafted free agent this year. The only bargaining chip that they have to do that is that they get to pick their team that they go to, which has its advantages. But from a financial standpoint, you know, it's it's nothing compared to what they could be getting. Yeah, I mean, after taxes and agent, you know, you're taking home ten grand. Like, there's there's really not a lot of incentive to uh, to not go back unless you're just that guy who's just like, no, I I, I want to play ball. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard, I've heard some you know some fun schemes on this. Like, if there's someone you like, you know, maybe offer a couple of their their college teammates the same amount and see if maybe they they'd all be interested in coming together and and playing together, um, you know, in the fall, and, you know, maybe you could swing something that way. Um, you know, knowing how things work sometimes in Major League Baseball, this also feels like just a, a situation rife for chicanery. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that there'll be bags of money left, uh, left places or that um, various Yankees players will be, you know, magically having relatives win, you know, trucks through Yes Network radio contest and that kind of thing. But I just imagine that if you could actually find out what actually went on, um, you know, in that, in that period, it, it's going to be yeah, like the wild, wild west makes makes a good comparison. Right. And I was reminded of this, too, recently that, you know, these players, when drafted with NCAA eligibility, still left. And because the season ended the way they did and being granted an extra year of eligibility for the, for these seniors who have the chance to come back to school, um, in the case that you're an undrafted free agent and you do take that twenty thousand uh, dollars, most, if not all of these uh, signings, regardless if you're in the draft or you're an undrafted free agent, can come with a contingency of uh, uh, finishing college. Yeah. So um, that that scholarship grant, uh, the the name escapes me of what MLB calls it, but they, they have a pool of money that is set aside to where you can go and finish college. And, and in college baseball, there's only 11 and a half or 11.7 scholarships per team of a team of 30 players. Yeah. So you're not seeing much of a pie of a scholarship compared to a lot of other major sports, the collegiate level. So if you're given the opportunity maybe to, to pick up $20,000, oh, and by the way, go back and finish school and get that paid for as opposed to maybe playing and not getting a scholarship whatsoever. You know, that's a nice little enticement too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's dangerous to go back to, to school in a sense too, because we just don't know what happens, you know, if there's a big second wave, you know, in the fall right. that lasts through the winter that ends up canceling the college season. I mean, you, you could really find yourself, you know, just, just kind of yeah wandering in the wilderness there too. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really tough, tough situation on a lot of young guys here who, you know, have done nothing but, but work hard for the most part and do things right and um, find themselves in a, in a really tough situation here, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the last thing I, I kind of wanted to get into was just, uh, we've had a couple people, uh, just people I talked to, like suggesting, you know, various catchers and I just keep like, just like restraining myself from losing my temper because I, I just feel like if, if a guy can't hit, I, you know, if, if it's not for the bat, like I just don't want a catcher at this point because it just seems like we're so close to the point where we're going to have automated strike, you know, balls and strikes, you know, probably right after the next CBA sometime around then. Um, if, is the glove first catcher like dead yet in, in team's eyes, do you think? No, not at all. And I actually had a great conversation. Um, I was at a game here this spring, uh, checking out Ohio state's, uh, catcher, Dustin Dingler. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's a, a very high prospect who's seen a lot of helium this, this spring coming relatively out of nowhere. He was like a top 100, 150 guy. Uh, and all of a sudden with his, uh, excuse me, his name is Dylan Dingler. I want to call him Dustin Dingler all the time. Uh, Dylan, <laughs> yeah, Dylan, gotcha. it, it, yeah, he's got an 80 grade name if you're you know, watching Boogie Nights or something like that. <laughs> but um, 
Dylan Dingler, he was a converted center fielder as a freshman at Ohio State, and he spent last year learning the craft and getting pretty good at it. And this year, all of a sudden, the offense came around, and the defense is pretty dang good too. And whereas you're not looking at the framing so much as it was like such a, a key to, to be looking at anytime you were scouting a catcher, when I was talking to a scout at this game, he was just saying, look, you just put more of, a, of an eye at what else he's doing well behind the plate. Is he blocking pitches? Is he calling a good game? Is he calling his own game? You know, are the coaches relaying signs? Um, how good's the arm? And, and in Dingler's case, he's got a hell of an arm behind the plate. And he blocks everything, and he does a good job of keeping pitches in front of him. And it's very technically sound. And even if he is a good framer i mean that's good for now sure but you just still find other things that are equally important and in today's day and age when you can quantify you know a pop time to you know the the thousandth decimal <laughs> uh you know it's it's important to still have that uh you want a well-rounded catcher no matter what yeah you still have to have the defensive skills it's true it just feels like yeah like some of those guys that were really really lauded for the glove being you know being a big part of their game like maybe they're they're not going to have quite the shine on them as, as as they used to but yeah you still gotta obviously you still gotta do everything right you can't just like take every you know third baseman out there who can hit and has a strong arm and just throw it behind the plate but right yeah all right um you know I, I think that's about it um i've kept you kept you pretty late here at night but um we got through got through quite a bit there um and i know you know i, I don't like to ask people for predictions at, at spots because it's just bloody impossible and people can just get a you know get a baseball prospectus membership like i have and go over there and you know find out what you guys are saying <laughs> right and we'll be chatting live during the draft uh wednesday evening so you can find that it's free to join it's at baseballperspectus.com i'll be there answering all your questions and uh, you know, just talking baseball, which is really a hell of a fun thing to do when there's nothing else in the world that seems to be going right right now. So, <laughs> yep. Come join. Yeah, we really do need baseball back. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks a lot, Kaden, man. You have a good night. And uh, yeah, we'll see how things go. And uh, hopefully uh, maybe we'll get you back for a post-draft uh, look at this thing um, sometime in the next few weeks if we can. All right. Sounds good, Brandon. Thank you. Yeah, you have a good night, man. Yeah. Bye-bye.